Hey gang, welcome to episode 58 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by Drafty. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. Our guests on the show today are Chris Michella and Ben Taylor of Escape Authority, a new site dedicated to exploring and reviewing the world of escape rooms. More on that in a moment, but first, hey, do you like to make things Do you like to make theatrical things? Do you often use lights or sound while making theatrical things? You know, if you make theatrical things, you you probably use lights and sound. Well, we might have something that can help you. It's our sponsors, our friends, our our actual lifelong friends. It's true. At Drafty. What is Drafty? Drafty is a computer-aided design program built from the ground up for the unique needs of theatrical designers, assistants, and technicians by an actual theatrical designer. Lighting, sound, and projection design are all supported at prices that strike fear into the hearts of the big CAD programs. Find out if Drafty can help you work your magic at drafty-app.com. I bet a few of you can... uh, can recite that along with me. In fact, one day we'll have a sing-along. That'll be pretty fun. Um, thanks again to Lucas for back in the show for these past two months, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we're going to keep that up. Uh, it's in limbo now because uh, he's been in Berlin. So, hey, something that happens. You, you wind up in Berlin. I wish I could go to Berlin. I guess. I don't know. I've never really been drawn to Berlin, just to be honest. Like, I, th- th- one of my friends would be like, what? I love that city. Some of my friends would be, what? I love that city. Just, you know, I don't know. There's other places I want to go. You know, there just are. I don't know. How, how do how did you get me on this tangent? I don't know how you got me on this tangent. This is your fault. You should be ashamed of yourself right now. You want the news and notes? Fine. We'll do the news and notes. Let's do it. We're doing it live. Here we go. Let's go to Chicago, where Dean uh, has uh, got us a bunch of stuff. All of the August issues, uh, the first August issues, except for the West Coast, are out as I record this. And the West Coast issue is languishing in... Uh, purgatory or something because I've been running around like a madman. More on that in a moment. Uh, Chicago's Escape Room Conference, or Room Escape Conference, as they say. Uh, That's what it's called, so that's what they say. That's happening August 12th through the 14th at the Renaissance Renaissance Schomburg, oh boy, Convention Center Hotel. Hey man, if I don't hear it pronounced, I do not know how to pronounce it. Uh, That's going to be in Schomburg, Illinois. You can hate me later. Uh, 25 bucks to $605. The $605 version, they just lock you in a hotel room for the whole week. I don't know. I just made that up. That's not true. I know somebody would probably pay big bucks for that. The entire weekend, it's a weekend-long escape room? Yes, there's no time limit <laughs> at all. Um, you can tell I'm drinking coffee while I'm doing this. It's Saturday morning. I know the show is late, and you're going to get a weird one. It's been a fun week. And I, I actually mean actually fun. That sounded sarcastic. Let's go to the Bay Area. Flash Mob Short Play Festival, August 21st at Lake Merritt in Oakland. The price of big fat goose egg. Um, hey, look. All you got to do is dodge the Pokemon Go players, and you can enjoy the Flash Mob Short Play. Or are those Pokemon Go players actually members of the Flash Mob? No one can tell the difference anymore. Also up in the Bay Area, We Players Romeo and Juliet is now open. It's running through September 25th. And you know what? I'm going to find a way to see it. I'm going to find a way to see that and the speakeasy. I'm going to see if I can get up there in September. I need to start talking to the producers and see if people can sneak my little self in. Let's go to New York. Curiosities, August 21st and 22nd. Location to be announced. The price is $50. What is it? Well, let's read the description because I'm curious. 
The year is 1936. The country is in the throes of the Great Depression. Times are hard and people are desperate. Through illegal secret travels, though illegal, secret traveling sideshows were ever popular distractions. These exclusive gatherings would take place in secret locations all over the country, often in rented houses to avoid the eyes of the police. Professor Mysterium invites you to join him for a night you will never forget at a secret location in Manhattan. It's times like this, I wish I had a private jet. Wait, that's just every day. Oh, well. Um, maybe Zay will get a chance to check it out. Let us know what's going on. I love this little pop-up stuff. Um, mystery, intrigue, sideshows. It's a pretty good theme for an immersive. Let's head back home, everybody. What I call home. Let's go to Los Angeles. Johnny the Shell is in its final two weekends. I'm very disappointed with myself that I did not get this up before the Saturday. Uh, if you have not seen it yet, if you haven't booked your ticket here in LA, oh, go, 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 go. Hopefully you're getting this on Saturday morning uh, and you're just like, stop what you're doing uh, and and go catch Johnny. Uh, it, it is solid. I've been, I've been twice now. Uh, I would go back a third time and try and catch the other track. And yeah, I'd get special treatment. They'd shut me on the right track. Um, uh, which is, you know, it's it's the perks of the job and it's a privilege and I and I understand exactly how privileged I am that I get to have that uh, experience because everyone else, you know, you just draw what you draw. And um, although I think they do a really good, I've seen them like, they when they know people are coming back, they, they endeavor to make sure that you wind up uh, on a new experience, which is something really nice. You know, not everyone goes to that length. Um, we'll have to talk to them about that sometime. That's the Speakeasy Society. That's Johnny the Shell. It's getting great notices. LA Weekly, Stage Raw, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, go see it. End of story. Uh, also coming up here in LA, this one, this one's in the, the Cabin of Curiosities uh, category. Uh, Disco Dining Club. There's this whole like immersive dining thing that's happening, and I, I hear wildly divergent things. It, we we had we had uh, Nicholas and Megan of uh, screenshot on the show and they they raved about the wolf's mouth experience that they had. I had another friend who went to it who was like meh. Um, they weren't into the food, um, but you know, tastes literally vary like wildly vary. Like you may love something and someone else may not love something. That the the food thing is such a high stakes. So Disco Dining Club Shanghai Express Edition. Uh, this one, uh, the setting is like 1920s Shanghai. The idea is everyone's going to dress up. Uh, there's a Moroccan six course meal that's part of it. And then there's a party afterwards, open bar. Well, I mean, you got me almost at open bar, right? Uh, August 13th, 7.30 PM in Silver Lake, uh, location to be announced. Um, it's, it's going to be cool. I'll say, I'll say that much. I know it. I know what it is. Sorry. Yeah. That's me being a jerk, but you know, trust me. Uh, good, good location. Uh, they're doing a lot of set work on it. I'm going to do a little set visit. I'm not going to be at the show. Um, but, uh, cause I don't have the right duds. Simple as that. I'm the kind of person, if you're throwing a theme party and I don't have the clothing for the theme party and can't put the outfit together, I won't show up because I don't want to break theme. Right. So if you guys start doing immersive theater pieces that require people to show up in costume, that's one way to keep me away. I, I like I, if I don't have the clothing, I won't show up. So there you go. That's like Noah's Bane. Uh, the price is one hundred and seventy five dollars with dinner because it is a six course prefix meal. And that's like a limit. I think there's maybe 40 or 60 people are going to be able to do dinner. And then the party, there's a party afterwards. Uh, party only open bar, 60 bucks dancing uh, on the theme. There's going to be like pop up installation uh, art stuff happening. And this is this is one of the things we do here. Uh, and uh, I'm getting more and more curious about it. So I don't know. 
Maybe I'll pitch an expose to somebody, or maybe I'll try and do a, a radio story. You never can tell. Here's uh, here's another thing here in Los Angeles. It's this weekend. I got to go see the press preview because I'm actually I'm a working journalist. I know it, it, I don't seem to be working, but I, I am. Um, and that's uh, VRLA. And uh, I think I just said that, whatever. And the coffee's not working yet. Um, one thing I got a couple of days before, and I wrote this up and I plastered it all over the place. It's over at Turnstile. It's at the Huffington Post. It's on my personal medium. Um, there is uh, the guys at Visionary VR. They did this. Uh, they've been in stealth mode for a while. And Visionary is like, like half the founders of VRLA you know, formed a company together, uh, along with some folks from uh, the special effects and video game industries. And they, um, they've built this app they call Mind Show. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, got kind of like a spacey VR name, but it's actually like, it's fantastic. Number one, let's put, let's get it out of the way. It's a lot of fun and it's essentially like a dress up slash puppet show app. Um, you can read the, the write-ups over at medium. Uh, it's not on no proscenium, but you can find, find my own thing on medium, uh, or you can find it at the Huffington post. There's also a write-up at the verge. Uh, get their take on it. Uh, but Essentially what it is, is it's kind of like an improv tool for VR and there are character models you can dress up as. And then they take the, the room scale VR tool, which uh, the HTC Vive is now the, the, the one solid way to do that. That's going to change by the end of the year. But they take the HTC Vive and they turn it into a miniature performance caption, capture studio. So with like the headset and the two controllers on the Vive... Uh, you can act out what the characters are doing. You know, you record it in VR, and then you can share it with your friend, and then your friend can like act out a response or like change what you do, and you can make up little shows together back and forth. It's still early on. I mean, clearly one day it's going to be everyone's going to be in the same virtual space at the same time, be able to do these things. There's props. There's different costumes, if you will. Um, it's kind of like playing dress up. It's just like playing make believe. And you're like, well, I can just play dress up and make believe. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can just play dress up and make believe. But that's the brilliance of it is that they're bringing that to VR. And so you can play dress up and make believe with like friends who are across the country who you like never get to see anymore. And this idea of bringing people together through, uh, through the, the act of collaborative storytelling. I mean, why would any of us be into that? That just sounds awful. Um, that's my sarcastic voice. Uh, I it's one of the five best demos I've ever seen in VR and it is a massive step forward uh, to merging these two worlds because it's putting the tools of performance and participation right in the hands of of the audience and uh, if that's not one of the puzzles that immersive entertainment is trying to solve and, and immersive theater is trying to solve then I don't know what is and the puzzle gets a little less difficult every day. So kudos to the guys at Visionary VR. Going to see if I can try and get them on the podcast uh, as we expand our horizons here. Um, the you know, seeds of the demo and, and of the app are going to be going out you know, on an invitation basis, I think, in the next couple of months. They're taking it really slow as they bring the ship out of port. There were other things that I saw at uh, you know, on the, the show Floor Proper. On the preview day, there's tons of people there. It's Saturday while I'm recording this. There's there's, there's hundreds, there's thousands of people even uh, at uh, the expo right now. I'm avoiding the crowds. Um, I saw some stuff that was uh, 
you know, I got to see the Star Trek demo uh, that's that Ubisoft did, and a lot of that was really exciting. Some of it was really frustrating. I can go into details on that if you ever want me to. I mean, we'll probably do it during an After Dark episode if Zay's curious, but he has asked me the question. Um, there's, I have come those conversations with people where we talk about, oh, like acting in VR, and they're like, it's theater, you know, not not film, and I'm like, yes. And then I then I went up to them and say, it's immersive theater, and then I break it down to them. Um, I've seen some really cool rigs for doing first person perspective stuff um, that just like, I'm like, okay, that's really happening in terms of like the video recording. Um, you know, I talked to the folks at Jaunt who are opening up their publishing platform, uh, you know, as a way to help people distribute VR stuff to every single platform because that's one of the problems of the VR 360 videos right now. And um, there's still all this energy, there's still all this interest, there's all this enthusiasm, the tools are getting more and more refined. The people who are working the design stuff really understand that it's the tiny details that matter. Um, and I think that's something that can, can play into the live immersive space as well. You know, if, if you don't necessarily have the budget to get uh, the full Maison scene, like not everyone's gonna be able to build an entire apartment they can then destroy, right? But if you get the tiny details right, it's those things that let you leap off into the land of make-believe. Um, and I don't mean all the tiny details. Just nail one tiny detail really well, and you've got a seed there. And people can start pouring in their imagination. They will fill in the gaps because we want to suspend our disbelief. We want to play. And those tiny details give us the excuse to do that. There we go. That's your that's your weekly rant. I hope you enjoyed it. I make these just for you. Um, hey, one final thing before I set up the show, uh, and I'm going to mention this uh, at the top of the, sh the interview as well, but a big shout out to our friends at Think Tank, Think Tank in downtown LA. They are working on opening up a podcast studio, uh, and they let me test drive it. Uh, I think we were the first outside of themselves to try something, and we even stress test it because this episode we did uh, a combination of Zencaster and uh, and uh, someone in the studio with me. So uh, that's that's the guys at Escape Authority. That's uh, Chris Moschella and Ben Taylor. Chris was uh, afar. I'm about to say this again in a second, so I'm not going to get too far in the details. But um, the reason why they're on the show today, well, let's finish with the think tank thing. Um, Pay attention to what's going on over there. Uh, there's more coming. Nothing we can talk about quite yet because uh, uh, they're still working out all the details. But it, this probably will not be the last time the show is recorded there. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Yay. Um, and, you know, Think Tank built a podcast studio. Geez, I wonder what for. Uh, leave it at that. So keep your eyes open, everybody. All right. Now let's set up the interview. So Ben Taylor has uh whose twitter handle is um focal express focus express oh my god things noah should look up before he starts running his mouth ben taylor has been uh, a regular correspondent with us on twitter for like ever and a day and uh, and yes focal express see i remembered it right and then i questioned i should just always go with first instinct you know I could run for president if I just went with the first thing that popped into my head all the time. I'd probably be running the country by now. Um, anyway, actually, no, couldn't because uh, anyway, don't worry about the math. Don't worry about the math. I don't want to tell you how old I am. I'm 40. Um, the uh, see, I just let it pop out. Uh, first thing in my head. Anyway, stopping now. Too much coffee. Ben Taylor has been a Twitter friend for a, of the show 
and of me for a while now. Um, and as he told me after the episode, um, we've even been at the same shows. He was in the Grand Paradise, not in the show, but he was at the same Grand Paradise I was at, like the first time I saw the show. But apparently, like, recognized me, but like, didn't want to approach. I'm, I'm not scary, people. Look, you know, I mean, yeah, I look like a werewolf, and I have like long claws, and I'm often eating raw meat in public. But I'm not scary. Just approach me. You'll probably survive the process. Ben Taylor did. He can testify to it. Just give him a few days to heal up. Uh, no, uh, Ben's Ben is. Uh, I get to meet him in person, and so Ben and his buddy Chris uh, started. Um, uh, they're, they're big escape room enthusiasts, and uh, they'll tell you the whole origin story. But we've been we've been going back and forth so long. I was like, you should come on the show. You should come on the show. Tell me about Escape Authority. You just started this thing. Uh, I want to know. And uh, I always want to do a better job of talking to the uh, escape room enthusiasts because um, I really enjoy them, but I never have enough time to do them. I've got a backlog. We've got invitations to like go see stuff. It's like. Um, and, and I wouldn't even have to pay. And I'm like, uh, I'm turning down free stuff because I, I running off and seeing the show. So I've got my specialty, they've got theirs and I want us to start approaching this, um, with, with that in mind. Um, so we're going to make some changes to the way we cover escape rooms at no proscenium, uh, or I hope, uh, we are, but, uh, we're going to talk to them about how they started, what makes a good escape room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I swear to all there is. I think the interview might actually be shorter than this intro section right now because I'm really, really chatty um, because I've seen so much stuff in the past week that uh, it's just bursting out of my brain. But let's go have a conversation with human beings because that's what this show is actually about. This particular episode is going to be interesting because I've got the guys behind Escape Authority, uh, which they will explain that in a second. But we're doing this a little differently. One, it's not just because we're in Think Tank's uh, new podcast studio, which I probably just talked about in the cold opening a minute ago, which I probably should have recorded here, but uh, I wasn't prepared to all the notes, so I'm going to do that one at home. Give it that homey feeling. I've got Ben Taylor here with me physically, and coming to us from Florida is Chris Michella. Got that right, Chris? You did. Excellent. And he's he's on a he's on the computer, so he's he's in a box like Max Headroom on the table here, and I guess we're on a box. Although, judging from what I can see, we're the we're two weird microphone hybrids, uh, backlit by a purple light, and he's an actual human being. So if this right. doesn't give you if this gives you nightmares tonight, Chris, congratulations, you've we've found a new horror genre. It's called podcasting. Um, so guys. Tell the NoPro audience, uh, what is Escape Authority? So Escape, escape Authority is, um, the focus of it is escape games, uh, but that's not the limit of it. Um, we're actually about to be branching out. We're holding off sensibly until you know the fall so that it lines up with Halloween events, but we are going to be covering haunt stuff as well. And um, here and there, little bits of immersive theater. Um, but the, the main core focus is escape room, since that's obviously a very much year-round thing. Um, it's kind of a newer genre in the U.S. It's not really a new genre per se um, right. in the world. Um, I mean, I guess it's, I suppose it sort of is, because, you know, when you talk an amusement park or you talk, you know, a Broadway show or something like that, those have been around for decades and decades. Um, you know, the escape room genre at its core has been around for 
maybe a decade, give or take. Um, but it's only been really a thing in the U.S. for the past uh, three or so years. Yeah, it's, right. it's come up really fast. I mean, like, we, we kicked off in Japan, made its way to Budapest, hit Moscow from there, and, like, during that time, leapt over here. It's kind of like a zombie outbreak in so many ways. It and, is. And Los Angeles is sort of ground zero. I mean, last year I did a story for NPR that was about about these things. And, of course, they had never heard of it at all. And so, like, we dropped by the maze rooms here in L.A., and then we drop by the basement and talk to Dr. Caden and um, and since then it's only grown right like I think we took oh a survey God, yeah. and it was about 60 when we did it and like who knows how many there are now the escape hotel just opened up on you know Hollywood right. 10 rooms and one under one roof um, clearly targeted at tourists but Absolutely. But let's 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 talk about the genre. Let's talk about this. How did how did you guys get in? So like Ben, I know you're you you do some stuff with Alone here in LA. But like, right. how'd you fall into the escape room genre? So it started a couple of years ago when we were looking for haunts to do. So Chris comes out from Orlando every year in October. Mm-hmm. We kind of do a, a week and a half of doing every single haunt under the sun nice. out here in Los Angeles. So a couple of years ago, we were um, searching on Groupon or Gold Star, one of those trying to find the next thing and came across uh, Panic Room, actually. Hmm. Um, and it, they had a horror-themed insane Asylum escape room, and we were kind of like, well, we've never seen one of these before. Uh, let's give this a try and see, you know, it's, we, we're very much about, like, trying to see everything out there because even if something is bad, we feel like we can learn something from it. Hmm. Um, so we actually planned a day that first day and went to three different escape rooms. So we did panic room here in hollywood um we did the purge breakout which was a a traveling trailer escape room i remember that was um and then we went to the basement at the end as like the grand finale that we didn't even know was a grand finale at the time (laughs) um and from there we were completely hooked on it um and since then kind of every trip that we plan whenever we're going somewhere is about okay well we're doing these theme parks we're doing these attractions but also now we need to book all of these escape rooms to see um so kind of via the the horror route we stumbled upon escape rooms um, as something new well well how did this how did this like orlando to la pipeline like this this so this is the friendship that goes back for a while so like i guess what's your guys's origin story um well i'm from orlando originally um so i grew up in orlando and then moved out here about three years ago um chris and i met i guess probably about seven or eight years ago now and so have, have known each other since then um kind of came out of the, uh, we actually met on an online forum for amusement parks because we're both giant theme park geeks. Um, so that kind of shared connection was kind of how that developed. Yeah, in a sense, we've kind of come full circle because we started, you know, our friendship on a on a forum talking about attraction design. And now here we are, you know, seven, eight, ten years later, we've got our own forum and we're, you know, it's escape room now. It's not theme park focused, but it's it's still there. Um, the, the LA thing, I'm sorry, still still attraction design. It it absolutely is. Yes, it absolutely is. And the LA thing, um, to touch on that also, um, that's been a tradition of mine, even before I knew Ben. Um, I've always been a big haunt guy. I've always loved that kind of stuff. And I love theme parks and there's, you know, there's just no question. If you're talking theme parks, Disneyland has to be at the, the start of your list. Right. So, um, even being from Orlando where we have Walt Disney world, you know, Disneyland is, is a is is a mecca for themed entertainment. So I would do a I did an annual trip anyways um, every October because it allowed me to do haunts plus all the theme parks 
you know, not scary farm and, and Universal's Horror Nights and Queen Mary, Dark Harbor. Um, so all of that was already kind of going on. And then when Ben told me, hey, I'm thinking about moving to LA, I'm like, sweet, I'll have another friend to, to hang out in LA with one. I actually have probably more friends in LA, ironically, than I have in Orlando. So going to LA to me, in a weird sense, almost feels like going home. And then, you know, with all of the immersive entertainment and the escape games and the theme parks and the haunts, it's it's just, it's a no-brainer for me. So what do you guys have been doing in, with, with Escape Authority? You're like collecting reviews, building out a network of reviewers. Like, take, take me through that a little bit. Because like, the, the, thing we're, the thing I'm kind of interested in this on the Nopra side is like there's so much variety of different immersive things going on. And it's hard to sort of master any one genre unless you really stay focused. So, so take me through what your, what your goal and process with the site in this first wave is. Part of the issue that I saw personally when I went to Ben and said, hey, what do you think about starting a site, is um, we just come back from a trip. Uh, we all went together. So I flew up. I drove up to New York. Ben flew out to New York from L.A. And then we did New York for almost a week and then flew together to L.A. and then did L.A. for a week. Um, and, of course, when you're traveling... Um, and no, you know this because it's no different with theater. You're, you're reaching out to people that you trust or you, you want to be able to trust at least to get recommendations of what the next great thing is to see. So, of course, that's what we tried to do for some escape games in New York. And, you know, New York is um, it's a big area for escape games. It's not L.A. I mean, L.A. is still significantly bigger, but there's quite a few. And obviously, if you're only there for four days or whatever the case may be, you have to really be picky about which ones you see. So we went, I reached out to someone who, um, acquaintance with, I mean, we weren't friends, we'd never met or anything, uh, but, you know, just online from the escape room, you know, sort of enthusiast community. And he does reviews and he uh, highly recommended a handful of games to us, like raved about, like use the terminology, it's the most beautiful thing you'll ever see and it's the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, you have life-changing escape game, you have to see it. So, of course, we booked those. Um, luckily, though, I am... A, uh, I travel a lot and I plan all of my trips myself for the most part. So I have that sort of comfort zone of doing my own digging as well. So we kind of did 50-50 of games that I found or thought sounded worth seeing and the ones that he raved about. And on that trip, we did about 60 games between New York and LA. And the simple truth is the worst games we played were the ones that came insisted to us by this other guy. And we started digging into it more and we started noticing that all of the ones that he raved the most about, you know, it, it, it becomes suspect because it's like, are you, are you reviewing because of quality or are you re reviewing because of, you know, free tickets or, you know, what's mm -hmm. the real motive here kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those moments where we just said, you know, we're fans of this and we have a passion for this and we just got burned. So, no doubt there's lots of other people that are getting burned in similar ways. Not, not, you know, not by the same guy. I'm right. not saying he's a monster or anything like that. Cause he's not, right. um, he's there's a nice guy. There's definitely this, this, there's this thing where it, it's interesting in terms of like the, the ethics of getting comped into stuff, because if you're right. going to be reviewing things, you literally can't afford to pay to see everything. Correct. Like, I've been doing reviews of different types for, for long enough that I ironically find that when I, when I'm comped, I'm usually harsher, <laughs> but also, but, but if something's bad and I've paid for it, 
I get vicious. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there was, there was, there's one show that I went to, and it was, a, it wound up being a really expensive night. And I just felt like I'd been sold a bill of goods and it, and it wasn't immersive and it wasn't, and for what it was trying to do, it wasn't even good for what it was trying to do. And when you totaled up everything, when you totaled up dinner, drinks before, drinks afterwards, after we left a quarter of the way through the show because it was <sighs> garbage, uh, the drink at the venue, right? You total everything up between me and my date, it was well over a $200 night. And I just turned to her and said, you know, like, imagine that you're just a punter who's like, this isn't your mission in life. You just dropped $200 on the night and you were just looking, you know, just for a good time. You just had just a, all you get out of it is a bad night. And so keeping myself in check once in a while by like paying for the shows, I think is really useful. But I am far from being independently wealthy, so I I wind up you know having to take the comps. But like ironically, like four out of five times when I take the comp, it's what the show I wind up being like, eh, you know, just because I've got that enough of the critic gene in me that it's like it, the access doesn't doesn't mean anything to me. Sure. All right, you're giving me free access. Like that's just I, part of the game. You know? I had a situation recently where a, a venue in Chicago invited us, reached out. Hey, I know you're in Orlando, but if you're ever in Chicago, we really want you to come see our game. You know, you're gonna love it. You know, we'll we'll invite you. It's you know, we'll comp you and everything else. And and as staff, they were wonderful. They were they were great people. But the simple truth is, if I'm going to review an escape game or an attraction, I'm not reviewing because of the people. I'm reviewing the quality of the content. And it ended up being. Well, the problem with that game was there were so many errors in it. Like, literally, they didn't fact check their own puzzles. So the answers were wrong. So the codes didn't match up. And I kind of looked at it after the game. And it's like, you wanted me to travel a thousand miles to see this. And you didn't even (laughs) proofread it first. Yeah. What's going on? How often, Ben, how often do you run into like a a puzzle or a game that's just fundamentally broken? Because that's something I hear... I talk about with people and I hear it all the time, you know, I feel I like we some brand new stuff too. Yeah. It's, it's rare to come across the fundamentally broken ones. Um, like broken to the level that, that Chris was talking about where it was, it was a math problem that literally was incorrect math. Um, that's, that's a tough one to do. Cause I think if you, you have to be like a game that just opened uh, in mm-hmm. order for something like that to happen. Cause I think after a couple of weeks of operation of, wow, nobody ever can solve this puzzle. <laughs> you're, you're finally going to figure it out. Oh, hey. the, the big thing that we run into a lot still are the, uh, the lazy puzzles. Mm-hmm. And that's what really irritates uh, me personally a lot is if you find a puzzle that you could have just gone to Walgreens, um, pulled it off the shelf and then put it in the game. So it's a, a crossword puzzle or it's a Sudoku puzzle or, Um, there's a chessboard that you just have to like move some pieces around, like things like that don't really have any place in an escape room in in my mind, because I'm, I'm going out and I'm paying 25, $35 to have an experience that I can't have at my house. Right. That's the whole point of, of paying for entertainment. So why should I have a $5 puzzle in there? Well, let's ask you guys this then. So your theme park nerds, your escape room nerds, what makes a good escape room? To me, the first and foremost thing is there has to be story-driven reason why you're there. Um, we actually just put an article up on the site the other day. Um, it's funny that you asked that now. That kind of outlines what makes a good story. And for an escape game, um, there's three criteria for me that you just have to hit. You know, why does the room exist? In other words, that room has to be a real place that was there 
well before you got there, you know, in, in the story world, not in the real world. But there has to be a story justification why that place exists. And then the next question is, why are we, the participants, why are we entering the space? Because we need to have a character-driven role in it as well. Uh, you know, almost in a sense that it becomes a, a small mini version of immersive theater. And then uh, the one that everybody always misses, it seems, is why is there urgency? Because mm -hmm. the, it's almost like the lazy crutch is, you know, you have just 60 minutes to blah, blah, blah. You know, like you read, you go to any given escape venue website in the U.S. or in the world, I would dare say, and you read the description of any random game, nine times out of ten, it's going to end with, and you have just 60 minutes to, you know, fine, it's a necessary evil. Yeah, there has to be a time limit for capacity's sake, but give me a reason why it matters. Like, in other words, if I'm playing a game that's a, say, a murder mystery, right, and it's this cold case that's been decades old, and, you know, whatever the case may be, and, 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 and we're the detectives in here to solve this case that no one can solve. Well, what difference does it make if we solve it in 60 minutes or 65 minutes if this story were real? Because we still did the thing that no one could do and we solved the mystery. So there needs to be a reason why it has to happen within that time limit for me, for, it to, for me to be able to buy it. And then there's the obvious other half of it where, well, it has to have good puzzles and the puzzles have to be intuitive because at, at its core, we're playing a game. So the game has to work as well, but it needs to be immersive for me. Well, and the, and the thing about the time, you know, that's something that a lot of video games actually never manage to get right either, is this the sense of urgency. In fact, they, they get it almost in the opposite way. And like, you know, like a game series I really love, the Mass Effect series, you know, there's this, there's this narrative sense of urgency. They're like, oh, you got to keep moving, Shepard. You know, you got to, you got to, you got to beat everybody and, and solve all the problems you got to solve. Right. But the game actually rewards you for slowing down and being meticulous, even though everything in the story is saying, hurry, hurry, hurry. The game itself is like, no, no, no. Go try and complete 100% and you'll get the best ending, which just, just drives me absolutely up the wall. Right. Because all of the side quests that are out there and yeah. all of these other competing ideas. And, yeah, if you do all yeah. the side quests, you do better, and yet the, the story is telling you to rush, rush, rush. All right, right. so Ben, for you, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the thing that makes a good room? I think it's being able to, to really get lost in it, um, mm -hmm. to really be able to, to have that momentary thought that, okay, this could be reality. Um, a lot of times that comes from the first thing that can hurt that is is scenic quality. When you walk into a space and it's just kind of a it, it looks like a converted office with you know drop panel ceilings still in there and some random IKEA furniture, you you kind of immediately lose all ability to have any sort of sense of suspension of disbelief at that point. Yeah, and there's um, a lot of rooms that have that going on. There is, yeah, because it's so easy to open an escape room. Um, there's no, there's no, uh, licensing committee for escape rooms out there. Um, if you can, if you can go to, a um, any strip mall and, uh, rent out a space and then just open it up essentially. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of being able to scenically be able to get into a space, know that this could be a real space and then having some sort of justification for why the puzzles are there really is the big thing. Because if it's just random, we've been to some rooms where, you walk in and it's kind of set up like little workstations around the room where, okay, here's, here's your logic puzzle number one to solve. Uh, that'll give you one four-digit code. And here's another little station. Okay, solve this logic puzzle on top and you'll get another four-digit code. And you kind of just move through. And, and that, to me, is um, that's a puzzle room, but that's certainly yeah. not an escape room. Yeah, It's hard to imagine, but I've seen ones even worse than what Ben's describing 
to that tune, but also color-coded. So literally this side of the room are the red puzzles and this side of the room are the green puzzles. And when you pick up objects around the rooms, um, you lift, you know, you flip the objects upside down and there's a little, a little green circle sticker on it. Oh, this goes to the green puzzle. Like that has its place if the game is a kid centric game, which I think yeah. is a great thing to have, by the way. Yeah. Um, but if, if, if you are a mature uh, escape game geared towards adults, that is a little, a little too juvenile, you know? Yeah. And even well, I think the, some adults have trouble with object permanence. So, you know, like maybe it's very soothing for them. But yeah, for the right. most part. Yeah, uh, well, and, and even with the kid-style games, if we talk about that, um, Five Wits, I don't know. Have you heard of Five Wits before? No, no, this is just... So, so they're a company based out of Boston. Um, they, they're kind of a design and fabrication company as well as a, a company that does these escape games. And they actually did escape rooms in the United States before anybody else did, but they didn't call them escape rooms. I think they just called them adventures or something to that yeah. effect. But they're they're mildly um, they're they're very kid friendly, um, and their first iterations of them had an actor in them. So you would go through a, a guided environment oh, wow. um, nice. with an actor with you, kind of being there to be a handhold if kids need it somewhat, but also still very much being in Story World. Um, but their sets are incredible. They're they're full like Disney quality level scenic, um, and all of their puzzles. Um, fit within the story world, but a lot of them are very kid-friendly still. So they still have a lot of, they might have like, not to the level of like a color coding sort of thing, but they're they're more simplistic in nature, but there's still tons of funds for adults to play. Yeah. So you can have that balance of, okay, this is a kid-friendly space. Um, so you're saying it's almost like that. the Pixar of escape rooms, right? You know, it's in like, a way, it's, yeah. it's, it's good, it's, it works for kids, but it's good enough for adults and maybe the adults will get sure. something out of it right. more. Right, yep. Yeah. Well, that, that leads me, this is a question that I think about all the time vis-a-vis escape rooms, because like, one of the downsides of as a business model is that there's, for the most part, zero replayability. So you either got to shove more and more people through, or you, a room has, has a lifespan, and then you got to flip it. But what do you guys see as the, the, the future, or even like the, the stability the stability point for this industry. Do you do you see people flipping rooms already? Do you see some failing? It still feels like to me like we're in a, we're in an expansion phase, but I, I gotta imagine that there's there's gonna be some winners and losers here relatively right. soon. I've only seen one or two venues actually fail and close up shop that I've personally played, and I can tell you that they are venues that I walked out of and said, uh, you know, after playing and said this venue is going to close. They're never going to survive because they're, they're, you know, their quality was really bad. Their gameplay wasn't intuitive. Their scene, it was, was awful. Um, and sure enough, they, you know, they closed. So it does seem like there is a degree of accountability in terms of the consumer recognizes um, quality, yeah. which is a good were, thing. Were those, were those happening in places where there was saturation in the market too, or were those places where it was relatively new? Cause like I always worry in any of this immersive stuff, you know, someone's first immersive theater, someone's first escape room, and you walk in and you get a piece of hot garbage. Right. Yeah. And, and then that person is like, I'm never doing that ever again. And Absolutely. They, just, they pulled the short straw. So, like, what, what, was, what was the scenario there with, the, with those? Well, those you know, it's funny that you would make that because I actually just jotted down a note on my end here to bring that up at some point in the conversation because that is something that's terrifying to me. That first impression mm-hmm. is terrifying. 
because you know this you know you, we can say it with theater we can say it with amusement parks the example i always use is um you know i'm a theme park geek right so i always use the, the roller coaster as an example you may not have ever ridden a roller coaster before but you know what a roller coaster is and if you go to a theme park some random six flags park somewhere in the country and you ride a roller coaster and the one in the first one you ride happens to be really rough and just beats you up you're not going to come off of it and say well roller coasters as a genre don't work you're going to come off and say well that one wasn't good because you will have heard enough about roller coasters in your life even if you hadn't ridden one that you're going to know that there are good ones out there right. escape rooms are the stark opposite of that simply because they're so new and they're so unknown to people so if someone plays a game that's one of those terrible games that you know, maybe or maybe not should close. Um, if they come out of that game and they have a really bad experience as their first impression, it is completely reasonable that their opinion is going to be, that's what an escape room is. Escape rooms don't work. I actually witnessed it myself recently here in Orlando. Um, there was a game that we played. And I mean, they were like, they checked all the boxes for, we just want to sell tickets. You know, <laughs> we want to open as quickly as possible. You know, basically an empty room with nothing in it and, nothing but combination locks and no tech and no story and no nothing, you know, nothing. Um, and we got paired with uh, two strangers in our, in our group. Cause you know, sometimes you can get paired with other people as you can, you know, in an immersive theater show. And um, those two people, it was a mom and her teenage daughter and they were wonderful people. I mean, we chatted with them before the game. They were enthusiastic. You know, we'd never heard about this. We saw it on Groupon. We said, let's see what this is about, you know, and they, they came out of it and walked with us to our car because it was you know we parked next to each other we arrived at the same time and they had said um we never want to go to another escape room again because that was our first impression and that was horrible you know how do you like these and i essentially had to talk them off the proverbial ledge so to speak so that they wouldn't jump you know because yeah. they never they were they were legitimately serious they never were going to do it again because that was their first impression that forms their opinion of what the industry is yeah. and it's just not and luckily, you know, I was able to give them a list of other venues here in town that are worth seeing. And I think, I don't know, my enthusiasm about it kind of sold them on, okay, maybe there is still hope here. Um, and they, and you know, they left, they, they left saying, okay, we're, we're actually going to check one of those out. We really were glad to yeah. talk to you, but it's well, you, scary. You were you lucky. Know? You were lucky. You were there to, they were lucky. You were there to say like, oh no, that room is hot garbage. Correct. Like, I know. I like in the second, the second room I ever did, um, Second, first, might have been, could have been the first. I, I did a room and it, I, I know other people had managed to beat it and other people beat, beat it after, but like it just, just seemed so harebrained hmm. that when we were afterwards, we were like, what the hell? And then the, and the guy running the room like, got like angry with us. Uh, and it was, it was kind of a review situation. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is just, this is terrible. And then I, like I've done rooms since and like, but I've also, I've also done rooms that are from like known quantity companies where, where things are fundamentally broken and the entire rooms had to be reset just to help us out. Like there was one room that had like a secondary, like the, the room had a secondary mag lock, like a side room. And we managed somehow to trigger that room open when we shouldn't have. And then the door closed and then we got sealed in there. So we actually got, trapped oh in, in an escape room. They and they didn't to, have like a kill switch or anything inside the no, room for safety? Not, not, not inside the room for our safety. They wow. had to go outside of the, they had to call someone to go outside the building and kill the power to the oh my room God. to turn it wow. back on. And this I, can is, I can tell you the standard for um, 
doors with maglocks is that you'll usually find some sort of kill inside the room, player facing, that is intended to be used by the player if something like that happens. So, well, this let me let me backtrack. That scenario, it was, right? It was the right way to do it is to wire it so that once that mag is disabled, it doesn't re-enable until the room is reset. That's the correct way to do it. Um, but you have to know what you're doing to program it that way. Um, but the backup is you have, you know, it basically looks like a little fire pole station kind of thing that, you know, oh crap, I locked myself in. You just pull it and it kills the mag. Yeah. That, what you're saying, shocking to me that they even were able to pass a fire inspection at that point. Right. Usually the fire marshals are very, yeah, very crazy about. Uh, we'll 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 talk we'll talk offline about how when and why that <laughs> yeah. happened. Uh, you know, I won't I won't. I don't feel like I need a name and shame. I think that one was taken down for renovation, but it is sort of funny. I can I can proudly say that I was actually trapped in an escape room, <laughs> um, although there was no puzzle to get us out. They had to rescue us. Sometimes um, that's a very true assessment of a standard game as well, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thugs, get right. me out of here. Right. Uh, there's no solve. There's no solve. Um, let's talk about, we'll keep this one kind of tight, but let's talk about, you mentioned, you know, you were able to give some recs in town. So let's say I'm visiting Orlando for the for the week, which is theoretically possible because there's a place I can crash in, in that town. So I might actually take advantage of that in the next year or so. Uh, what, uh, what, 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 are the, what are the three escape rooms, or at least the three escape room companies that I should be looking at if I want to have a good time there? You know, we came across one the other day, um, and, and just so that anyone listening knows the reason why I'm taking this one again and not giving Ben a chance to speak, I'm the Orlando-based one and Ben's the LA one. Um, well, I'll ask we can't in a second. So yeah, absolutely, you should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we um, we came across one the other day that was like you know the brand new place. There was nothing about them online, and you know, call it jaded, call it experience, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of times, that can end up meh more than great. And my gosh, don't judge a book by its cover. These guys were the best game that we'd ever played in the Central Florida market. The venue is called Escape Artists. Um, and they're in Sanford, which is about a half an hour, 40 minutes north of downtown Orlando. So it's, you know, it's very close. Um, and, uh, you know, their games check all the boxes that we look for. The puzzles are intuitive. They're original puzzles. They have some tech-driven stuff in their puzzles. Um, and the puzzles connect with the story world. The scenic is good. The story is good. It makes you the main character in that experience. And there's some surprises and there's some neat reveals and you know, they, they really check off all those boxes that we're looking for. Um, so, and, and then the mom and pop company, um, and, uh, you know, just very small, small family run thing. Um, you know, by all accounts, they wouldn't be the one that you would say, oh my God, these are the ones that you have to see, but oh my God, these are the ones you have to see. Um, so there's them. Uh, another one that is um, pretty good is um, they're a chain. So it's a little bit more of a, you know, conglomerate kind of corporate kind of feel to it. Uh, but the escape game, very original name. They're based out of Nashville. Um, the there's a pro and con to this because their games are copy paste. You know, they design them all in house, so it's not that they're just getting them from some other place or anything like that. They design them all in house. But if you've been to one of their other venues in Nashville or in uh, Pigeon Forge or Austin, Texas, um, likely that you've played the games that are in Orlando already because they're the same games in every market. Yeah. Um, so sense. I mean, if you want to keep this going as a business, you almost need to do that. Yeah, yeah. you're you're totally right. I you know I look at it selfishly as a player, um, but you know I also do have an attraction design background, so I do understand it from a business point. And 
I get it. I mean, you know, if you have it designed and it sells tickets and it's doing well and it's popular, why wouldn't you want to use it? Yeah. You know, and especially when it's a different, you know, it's a different market. Not everybody travels around the country like I do to play escape games. Exactly. You know, um, another one that, that we like, um, they're a lower budget end of things. So, you know, it's not, it's not the over the top scenic like you would find. Um, but the venue is called MindQuest Live. They're another one that's family run, um, but they didn't design their own games. They got their games from um, existing games in Hungary. Um, they're again, they're, you know, they're more modest on the production value side of things. But the thing that we like about that place is um, they're one of the only ones in town where you can book a private room. So in other words, you're still buying per person tickets. You know, so if it's you and Ben, for example, you would just buy two tickets, but you're not going to get paired with strangers. Mm. And the reason why that's a benefit, I think, a huge benefit, is especially to a new player, if you're a new player who's never done this before and you don't know the nuances of it and you don't know the you know, the steps of how to discover things to start the game and all of that, if you get paired with two really aggressive, experienced players, you're going to get steamrolled. Yeah. You know, you're not going to learn anything along the way. And it's sort of interesting. It feels like to me, and, and maybe, Ben, you can, you can speak to this about L.A., like it feels like the more saturated a market is, the less likely you are to find, like, individual tickets. It feels like there's a lot of buyouts. You yeah. know, like, I don't... I. Every every game that sounds interesting to me here in the LA market is totally a buyout situation. It's like the room is going to cost you this much, right. and it's up to you to find a way to divvy it up yourself. And those those rooms seem to have no problem whatsoever in staying alive. So talk to me about the LA market. Give me give me your top three in there. So I think the 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 two that are the best here in LA, um, the basement is is definitely the best escape room company in Los Angeles, and probably. Uh, in that top five, if not top one or two in the entire country. Um, all three of their rooms follow a, a linear storyline across them, which is kind of the only venue that we know of that does that. Um, and all of them are fully story-driven rooms, and you're in an immersive environment. Um, and the puzzles totally make sense for that world that you're in. Yeah, I still, and, I've been on the set, and I still haven't done it. Like, I, I still have the looking forward to doing the basement is like right. something on my bucket list, but I've been in the basement and that set deck is incredible to the it point is, where yeah. like you walk into, into other rooms and you're like, how is this an escape room? I don't feel like I'm in a real space right now. Right. And they know how to do show lighting really well to make oh it God, look even yeah. better than it is. And um, I'm back on the show. I, I, I think, the show. Yeah. I've interviewed him, but not for the show. I got to do that. So. <laughs> um, and what's cool about their, their, latest room, the study, is that um, it kind of reinvents the way that escape rooms work because it's, um, you really feel like you are in a scenario. So the puzzles that you're solving don't feel like you're solving puzzles. It feels like you're solving actual tasks and you're doing real things. Would you Um, recommend to someone who's excited about doing the basement about booking like all like I guess because like one of the rooms is like it's too small to take the full basement team in so right it's a four person it's a four person room so you can't really do all of them at a go but right but I I think it's I mean it would be an interesting experience we we played them all pretty much within a few weeks of them opening so we we were playing them six months apart or something like that but I think if you are a person that's played you have some sort of escape room experience already doing them all in one shot would be a an interesting experience that, yeah, I mean, I would recommend that. Yeah. Just to hear how that went, I think. 
But like um, you need you need more than four people to tackle the core basement, right? Or, so I think it's twelve is the capacity in the basement, and right. I think the study is lowered down to ten. Okay. The boiler room is four. Right. Um, they are public games, so you are going to get paired with strangers if you don't um, get a buy. You know, don't completely yeah buy yeah. all the tickets out, yeah. um, which is always has you know pros and cons to it, yeah. but. The basement is surely the, the the one to see in Los Angeles. The other one is down in Orange County, which is Crossroads Escape Games. Yeah, and that um, one that one's a choice because like it, it's, it starts you off. They've, they've got a simpler room now that I know, but like there's it's the hex room. Right. Describe this because this is rad. Yeah, so the hex room kind of the the idea is that you're being put into a horror movie uh, to the point that you actually are, are given a um, a character role to inhabit. So there's the detective, the prom queen, the jock, the nerd. Uh, the Virgin, I think, or the Six. Um, there's one more somewhere. Um, but so you're given this character, you're placed in an individual room on your own. So it's like being in a mini personal escape room at that point if you have six players. Um, and then the goal is to eventually solve your room in order to come together and then escape the room as a whole. But it has all kinds of different intricacies to it of there's different levels of winning. So mm. not only can you win, but you can also survive like in a horror film. So there's an additional puzzle that you can solve on your own um, to just get your survival state. You can leave people behind and escape without them. There's a lot of complexities to oh their goodness. game that other ones don't have. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful scenic environment. Um, and also a mom and pop shop. If right, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a husband and wife team that, that runs that. Yeah. Um, and then their funhouse room is... Um, very much beginner friendly, whereas the hex room isn't a game I would recommend to a first time player just because yeah. since you are separated off on your own, if you've never played a game before, you're not going to, it takes a while to get up to speed um, yeah. playing these. So you want to play with a group of people that all have been to at least one or two rooms before. You don't need to be a super experienced player. Just have a little bit of yeah. knowledge of the genre. Everyone needs to be able to hold their own. Yeah. So. I just want to say too, with the fun house, um, yeah, it's more beginner friendly, but it's more beginner friendly because it is a team based activity. Um, we, a very experienced group, um, we finished with five or six minutes left on the clock or no, I think it was about 10 minutes left on the clock. Um, which is, you know, average for us on a challenging game. So it, for someone who is experienced, it was still a great experience. It wasn't a, um, it didn't feel easy. Fantastic. Well, guys, um, let's throw out the, the, the important information about how they can, how the, how the no pro audience can connect with Escape Authority and with you guys. Sure. Um, so we're at escapeauthority.com. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash theescapeauthority. Uh, and then on Twitter, we're ESC Authority. So all kinds of different things for you to follow. Um, and we actually just launched our own podcast last week. Um, so we do uh, launched with a three-part episode talking to all the core team members that we have, because it's not just Chris and I. We've got, um, I guess, five other people that are doing reviews with us. So we kind of talk about background, go through a lot of in-depth topics on escape rooms, and then we're going to be doing um, interviews with designers and owners as well from uh, venues across the country. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, looking forward to checking all of that out as you as you continue to roll it out, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll share some more after we, we technically go off the air. So, um, Ben, Chris, thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Once again, want to thank our guests today, Ben Taylor and Chris Michella of Escape Authority. You just heard how you can find them on the Twitter at es 
ESC Authority. I said it again anyway. Um, check them out there. Check out the website. Uh, keep up with uh, the, their team as they catalog the escape rooms around the country. Hey, um, once again, another big thanks. Thanks to our friends at Drafty, drafty-app.com, for being our sponsors for the past two months this summer. Uh, it's definitely meant a lot to us, kept us uh, ahead of the game for once. Um, but they are not our sole form of support. And indeed, as we look forward to expanding into more newsletters and into covering more uh, varieties of immersive entertainment, uh, we definitely need your support. So uh, if you like what you hear, oh my God, you're, one, you're amazing because uh, you deal with me. Uh, but if you like what you hear, check it out. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, so many of our core uh, audience members have jumped in at the $1 a month level, at the $5 a month level, and um, I've been threatening to revise it and, and figure out what the next steps are for a very long time, and I'm taking a lot of this weekend to do that. So take a look at that, um, think about jumping in, and realize that uh, for the $5 and above level, uh, I'm going to add some extra stuff in. We're going we're gonna to add some things and create a few more tiers uh, to uh, that are going to be nice and nice and special to kind of bind this community together. First, I'm going to make nine rings. Then I'm going to make um no uh yes. All right. So what else is there? Uh, we've done the sponsor block. We've done uh, oh think tank 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 gallery uh, for all your gallery needs in downtown LA. Uh, no, you know, space rentals, putting up shows. I got some school stuff coming up in the fall. Uh, they're working on this podcast project. Keep an eye on them. Uh, their passion is real, and uh, they have they're this, they have the same kind of community mindset that I do, which is why we did it this time, and hopefully we'll be back in soon enough. We've done the Patreon plug. Um, how to contact us. Uh, if for some reason you want to talk back to us, and you want to talk back to me, um, you reach us at uh, nopresidium.com, where you can sign up for the newsletter, which I really don't understand if you're not getting the newsletters uh, but maybe you're maybe you're somewhere you know maybe you're the person who listens in New Zealand except I know that you actually get the newsletter so why did I make that example no 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 uh, that's where you can find links to everything including our Twitter at no proscenium hey if for some reason you find my personality appealing uh, one I am single but two uh, at Noah J Nelson is my Twitter handle where you can get more of this on a regular basis uh, why I don't know I don't want more of this on a regular basis I just want to read comic books uh, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com is the email um, I wonder how ridiculous my housemate thinks it is because she's sitting like feet away from me. She's giving me thumbs up. Uh, she has to deal. Yeah, someone gets to hear this live. Uh, so sad. What is I'm saying? No underscore proscenium at outlook.com is how you email us. That's how you tell us about shows and everything like that. And I do appreciate it. Um, and I need to do a better job of like acknowledging people in the newsletter for giving us hat tips. I used to do that more tips of the hat to people. Um, I used to do that more often. I've gotten sloppy as I've become a mogul. Uh, a mogul. I just called myself a mogul. I'm not. Maybe I'm like a, a small snowdrift. Um, Patreon. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Medium. The Medium Collection uh, publication. Whatever they're calling it this week. They're always changing their terms. That's where the reviews are. That's where the essays go. That's where the glossary. We do have a couple of glossaries about immersive. And um, I highly encourage you to read those because apparently they've helped some people uh, to help, you know, give them something to bounce off and frame uh, there are questions about uh, immersive theater and immersive entertainment and sort of what it is. And uh, for us, it's always a discussion. It's never hard and fast rules. I kind of find that completely ridiculous. But um, 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, find that medium.com slash no dash proscenium. That's a lot, so I'm going to say it again. So it's medium.com slash no dash proscenium because it's like one of those URL type things where it's like that, right? Okay, so that's everything. Um, we've got episodes scheduled on the books for next week and the week after. Zay and I are going to do a little After Dark thing hopefully really soon. Got some more people coming in, lots of one-on-one interviews coming ahead, maybe some more trips to Think Tank and like try out their system in different configurations. Uh, more of the same, more shows, hopefully a trip to the Bay Area for me because um, I miss my cat uh, and he's up there. And uh, then there's also shows to see. So, um, and that's an idea. Like if you can come up with an immersive theater show that I can take my cat to, uh, particularly if it's in the Bay Area, uh, I'd, be, I'd be most grateful. Um, of course, then everyone would have to be able to take their cat, and that could turn into, like, a real furball. And on that dad joke, I will see you at the show. I'm getting a, getting a thumbs down. That's no good. I'll see you at the show. All right, we've got a flow here and get over to the notes. Take a drink of coffee. Mmm. Chris Porter. Chris Porter. Chris Porter. Chris Porter. Chris Porter.